Father, as we continue this complicated and difficult story, God, would you reveal to us who has claim on our future? That if we're honest with ourselves, with our friends here, with you, God, the things, the... I mean, it could be anything from a substance to a person, to a relationship, to a situation, to a job. All these things that lay claim on our future, our worries, our fears, our mortality. God, would you help us to be honest with ourselves before we're diving into your word today? And would you help us to really come before you in an honest and open way, realizing that there are things that lay claim on our future that have no business laying claim on our future. And God, would you show us more of yourself, more of who we are, and more of who we can be in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're picking up in chapter 29, the last little bit of chapter 29 in Genesis, and we're gonna move on to chapter 30. If you're following with us in a paper Bible or in an app or on the screen, we welcome you to do any or all of those. There are paper Bibles on the tables here. If you need to take one, please take one. Um, And I just wanna make you aware of that because if people need Bibles in your lives, like give them to them, just give them to them. Um, And they're free for you. So um, we just wanna open up to our text and just see that today an already thick plot will thicken considerably. We might have to do some background work depending on where you're at if you're just picking up with us. But let's look at verse 25. It says this, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me out my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Now if you're just joining us previously in Genesis, uh, Laban is this man that is a relative of Jacob that he went to to get a wife. And he loved her, his daughter, Laban's daughter, immediately, like love at first type, sight type of love. Her name is Rachel. And Laban does this thing where he says, hey, work for me for seven years and I'll give you one of my daughters. Um, and then on, on Jacob's wedding night, he gives, her, him, he gives him the wrong daughter. Uh, well, or the right daughter, depending on how you look at it, right? Um, I'm sure she would look at it a little differently. But Leah, the older, unloved daughter, gets given to Jacob. And then Rachel, after another seven years, gets given to Jacob. And then they have a bunch of kids. And 20 years pass. This is a long time after Jacob first came to be with Laban. He's in a place that's not his home. Jacob does not necessarily belong in Laban's house. Because there is a promise haunting his life in a good way. (laughs) There is this promise that is after him. That he would be in a certain place and partake of a certain blessing given to his grandfather Abraham. His father Isaac and now to him. So he goes to Laban and he says, hey, give me my stuff, my wives, my children. I've served you. They're my wages. Let me go. It's time for me to go. And as we've seen already before, these two will negotiate and negotiate and negotiate. That's what they do. Jacob is the deceiver, the manipulator, the master arc schemer of the Bible. And look at what Laban says in verse 27. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Stay is what Laban says. Laban shows his hand. He wants Jacob to stay. He wants his family close. 
He, and more than that, and even more darkly than that, he believes that the only reason he's been blessed, he's found out, is because of Jacob. God had said to Abraham long ago, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Everyone on earth will be blessed through you. That there is this shroud of blessing that just follows Jacob around wherever he goes. And Laban has heard and perceived that he has benefited from that. He learns it by divination. There are other powers in the world than the one we should follow. God had said this, but he learns it through a darker way. He says, name your wages. This talk of wages. Does this word wages in Laban's mouth mean something complicated for Jacob? Because wages before met your daughter. And then you tricked me with the other daughter. And then, I, then the other one was more wages for, for more work. So so the word wages in Laban's mouth is loaded with me. When he says, name your wages, Jacob's like, "Uh, about that, about the wages. Jacob said to him, verse 29, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The literal you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? Jacob sees his own house, his own story moving forward. He doesn't disagree. Yeah, I'm pretty much priceless. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're pretty much right in everything you say that, that I am the reason why you're so successful. This is some clever maneuvering by Jacob, the clever maneuverer. In the ancient world, you've got this distinct way of haggling. He has Laban over a barrel. He can ask for anything. And what do you think he would ask for? Now, we're watching Jacob, and we're watching him change through the story little by little. We're watching little hints and whispers that maybe he gets it. But what do you think that Jacob would ask for from Laban? I, I, would, I would expect everything. I would expect, I would expect some clever, you know, scheming, trickery that he gets just everything. Because he has Laban where he wants him. He could stay, be in Laban's household, ask for whatever he wants, and live out his days in wealth and prosperity. Look at what Laban asked. What shall I give you? Don't give me anything. Those of you who know Jacob know, Jacob doesn't ever say, don't give me anything, right? We all know better, kind of, right, in the story? Because we know Jacob by this point. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted Sheep or goat, depending on your translation. Every dark-colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. This is strange. Inexplicable. What do you you mean the speckled, spotted ones? By the way, you'll have a lot of theories on this. No one really knows what Jacob's doing here. No one really knows... Why he would want the speckled and spotted ones, except that maybe in the ancient world, the speckled and spotted ones maybe somehow signified that Laban wouldn't want them as much because they're speckled and spotted. And maybe as he's spinning this and as he's going to Laban, he's like, ah, maybe I could, you know, I could take the ones you don't like, you know, no big deal. Another, another theory out there is that the speckled and spotted ones will be more likely because you're more likely to have a speckled spotted goat than you're likely to have a pure white, just clean goat, Right? also another theory out there. Also maybe true. But he asked for this. He said, this will be my wages. How could, you know, how could he resist? And he said, verse 33, and my honesty will testify for me. What now? You're, you're what now? <laughs> Jacob, we know you, bud. 
like we know you. My honesty will testify for me in the future. Your name means deceiver. Like, that's your name, you know? But he tried to say, my, my honesty, believe me. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark, not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, because he's got him over a barrel. Let it be as you said. That same day you removed all the male goats that were streaked and spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them and, put, and all the dark colored lambs and he placed them in the care of his sons. And then he put a three day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Now enter Jacob the hustler. Look at verse 37. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white strips on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches like you do. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches. It's a little discovery channel. Genesis for you guys, right? And they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted, the right ones. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, and the strong ones went to Jacob. The weak ones went to Laban, and the strong ones went to Jacob. Are we at all surprised at this? That Jacob has figured out some discovery channel scheme to get goats to mate when and where he wants them. He's using this weird mix of, like, knowledge of animals and hustle. He's working really hard to do this. And, like, weird magic. You know, like ancient, like, uh, we were, we're some superstition. All of it working together in his life. All of it working together to get all the strong, speckled, spotted animals. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came, down, came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Let's take a step back to consider what Jacob is doing. What is he using to tell the story of his life? What is he using to write the narrative of his family and his business and his ability? He uses everything. Everything. And it's presented to us without comment in the text. So you can put your own comments. But it's presented to us without any insight onto whether what he's doing is right or wrong or otherwise. But he uses everything. He uses his blessing, his birthright. He, he uses God blessing Laban by his presence. He uses weird goat magic. That's what I'm going to call it. You can just deal with it, right? Coupled with some ancient, like, animal science, you know? His brain, his sweat, his negotiation skills, his courage, every last little thing he has, he uses. I want to tell you this, that whatever happens with Jacob and whatever he does right and wrong and all over the place in the story, his tenacity matters. And it matters to God. It's going to matter to his identity. That's something that Jacob's never going to get, get away from in his life. This tenacious, just I'm going to, like, I'm going to use everything that I have. 
and he increases. Notice that he stays within the system of Laban, but he kind of makes the system unsustainable. And what's going to happen? Look at chapter 31. Let's pick it up there. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Does this sound familiar? Jacob stealing a birthright and a blessing from Laban's sons. Does any of this sound, just ring any bells for us? He's like a professional birthright stealer. He does it in families that are not even his own. Who should get the best of Laban's stuff? Laban's sons. They're mad. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Jacob's very emotionally intelligent. But the situation's becoming unstable. Who lays claim to the future? And where are we going to go from here? And the Lord said to Jacob, and this is all he said to Jacob that we see now, and he's going to tell us more later, but go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Please note here that God doesn't tell Jacob exactly what's going to happen. Is that a lot of detail there? It's not really a whole lot of detail. Jacob's going to kind of infuse some detail, but he doesn't say exactly how it's going to go. What does it mean for Jacob to go back to the land of his fathers? Do you remember who's waiting for him back in the land of his fathers? His brother. His brother Esau. His brother who he stole the birthright and the blessing from who wants to kill him. His brother who his mom sent him away 20 years ago or more, sent him away to be safe from Esau saying, when Esau calms down, I'll send for you. She never sent for him. That's, I mean, that's pretty telling. Tells us about more about Esau, tells us more about Jacob, tells us more about the dynamic. What does it mean for him to go back to the land of his fathers and relatives? Notice that God says, and your relatives. Not just your fathers, your relatives. Specifically one who wants you dead. Okay, so look at verse 4. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah, the feuding sisters, who have a difficult relationship both with Jacob and with each other. To come out to the fields where his flocks were. And he said to them, they have a conference. This is like a family summit. And he said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. With all my everything, really. Negotiation, hustle, again, goat mat, all that stuff. I've worked with everything. Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, like, all over the place. Hey, here's one daughter, and here's another, and hey, here's some goats, and here's some, like, is some of that Jacob's fault, like, too? Okay, he's spinning a story. I mean, like, however, my God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said in verse 8, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given given them to me. Do we know this part of the story? Not really. All we know is the, the scheme that Jacob told Laban. Jacob's telling the wives something a little different. I don't know. Is this true, the story from the tricker, trickster? Do you think that maybe the sisters were a big reason that Jacob had stayed with Laban for so long? That maybe it would take a story about some conflict that maybe does not reflect well on their father to shift their opinions? Maybe. Probably. 
Look at verse 10. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up, and instead of a stairway to heaven, right, I saw that the male goats mating with the flock that were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made vows to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. The dreams of Jacob will become very, very important. These dreams in the family of God will become very important. It is an interesting question that Jacob tells us something the narrator doesn't here. It's very interesting, and I don't, I'm not sure what it means. But he says he has this vision, and he is passionate about going back to the land that God told him to. So what's going to happen? What is going to happen? What are Lee and Rachel going to say? And notice that Jacob finally is listening to his wives and like is actually in, involving them in the process. Then Lee and Rachel replied in verse 14, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So do whatever God has told you. Do they realize what Jacob returning to his homeland could mean? Did Jacob ever tell them what returning to his homeland could mean? In any event, Jacob tells them something and they respond, yes, we're in. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and he drove all his livestock ahead of them, of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. And this is going to be a big joke in the text. It's a joke, kind of, because it has very huge ramifications. Rachel is following Jacob, who has trust in this God of, his, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But yet she still wants to take her household gods. These household gods were like figurines, like Knickknacks is probably not the word for them. But like, they were like little figurines in a home that people thought had powers. And they would be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Who, who do they belong to? They belong to Laban, but who will they belong to? Laban's sons. So what do we see here again? We see here again someone stealing someone's birthright. Rachel steals her father's household gods and takes them with her. Moreover, remember that. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, the deceiver deceived, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had. Some translations say, so he stole away. As a wordplay, Rachel stole the household gods. Jacob steals everything else. <laughs> and they steal away, not telling Laban any, anything. Crossed through Euphrates River and headed for the hill country of Gilead. Runner's going to run, right? Deceivers are going to deceive. But Jacob is going to find, and we're going to find through the story, that you can't deceive forever. You can't. That you can run, and you can run, and you can run, and you can run some more, but eventually, the running will end. Look at verse 22. And on the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob. 
good or bad. Laban is hot and probably very self-interested at this point. Maybe he doesn't want the goose that laid the golden egg to get away. More likely, he wants his daughters and his grandchildren and his stuff back. I want you to think about the situation that Jacob is in if God doesn't intervene here, as God intervenes with Laban in his dream. Jacob has left someone who is not cool with him, who, who, who really, his name is Mud to Laban, and he's going to someone who wants him dead. That's where we're at in the story. If God doesn't intervene, what does Laban do? I, we don't know, but he intervenes. And Jacob's life would have taken a totally different turn. Who, who controls the future? Jacob had pitched his tent in verse 25 in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. And Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You, you've deceived me. And you carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? You notice any repetition there? Why didn't you tell me? So I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps. Is that real talk, Laban? I'm, I don't think so. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. And then he says this. I have the power to harm you. So we know, right, what would have happened to Jacob, what he was going to do. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, where are Laban's gods right now? With Rachel, stolen. But the God of your father talked to me, said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now even Laban is caught up in the dream that God has for Jacob. We will find that ultimately nothing can escape the orbit of God's dream for Jacob. We need a perspective that our brains weren't made for in some ways. And a solid trust to see this in the story. Look at verse 30. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Think of the, the comic effect in this. Laban had a dream where God talked to him. And he wants his figurines back. <laughs> And he's talking about like little pieces of clay gods. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if, if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. Whoops. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself uh, whether there is anything of yours here with me. If so, take it. And then the narrator says... Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. I hope he didn't know saying that. I hope he had no idea. In essence, he, he invites you to search for your birthright, search for the birthright of your family, and if you find it, we'll kill whoever, whoever you find it with. But then the text makes a huge statement about every other power but God and every other claim to the future. But God, in this text, look at verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. And after he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, don't be angry, my Lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. Yes. So he searched 
but could not find the household gods. Now this is a crude joke, but it's a funny joke. Like it, when Laban is looking for the household powers, he can't find them because they're under, because a menstruating woman is sitting on top of them. This is the scripture, guys. I can't, I can't write anything. Like, like, what does that say about the power of those gods? Like, it says, a, like, they're not powerful at all. They're nothing. They mean nothing, is what, what, what the text is saying. That, that if, if this woman who has no power in the story has the power to sit on your gods, it's game over for your gods. They don't mean anything. They don't have any claim on the future. Laban doesn't have any claim on the future. Do you know who else doesn't have any claim on the future? Jacob doesn't have any claim. Rachel doesn't have any claim. Who, who could do this? But God. Who could concoct a story so insane? You know? So out there. Look at what Isaiah 46 says about other gods. It says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. They're carried around. The images that are carried out are burdensome, a burden to the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of who? Jacob. All the remnant of the people of Israel, whom I have upheld since your birth, whom I carried you, I carried you since you were born. Even in your old age and your gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. This is a, this is a commentary on gods that you can carry around. Statues, idols, powers that have no power. Stuff that you make with your own hands. Or that we make with our own actions. And God says you're carrying all this stuff around that rules over you. It has no power. I am the one. Not, God is the one who creates, sustains, carries, and rescues. Look at the joke continues in verse 36 back in Genesis 31. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? He asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you would hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, you found what you have found belongs. What have you found that belongs to you, your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine, and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for twenty years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or by night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. He's good at making speeches. It was like this. For 20 years, I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters, the wrong one first, and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, not the gods who sit under Rachel, by the way, that's what the text is telling us. The God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me. You would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship, just like he saw Rachel's, just like he saw Leah's, just like he saw, sees yours. He has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. This is incredible. Now, anytime the Bible uses this word fear in the Old Testament, like the fear of Isaac, that's such a interesting way of referring to God in the text, right? 
The fear of Isaac. You know, we think of like being afraid of the dark when we think of that. Of being like afraid that we're going to die someday. That that's the kind of fear that maybe they're talking about. And it isn't. We find that in the Old Testament, actually, this word fear is the same word as awe in the text. So when we see that the fear of Isaac, you could easy, just as easily put in there the awe of Isaac. What does Jacob mean by this? He means that, J- that Isaac was so blown away by the story that God was telling all around him all the time, so blown away by what God has made, so blown away by his own story, his own journey, his own process of becoming the person that God created him to be, that his whole life was oriented around that. Jacob might be changing, might be seeing something. We're almost done. Let's look at how Laban answers Jacob. Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Ouch. Are they cool now? No, they're not cool. Laban's not cool with Jacob. The speech is aside. It's not like he's convinced by Jacob's rousing, you know, monologue. See, no, everything you see is mine. You know what? They're, they're, Jacob's saying, God gave me stuff. Laban's, Jacob's saying, well, I, I, I worked so hard for all this, all this stuff that you see. It's mine. And Laban says, mine. And Jacob says, mine. And Laban says, mine. What's going to happen? He says, yeah, what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. Now, when I was young and I read this text, I thought that Laban was cool. And I thought that the, the covenant that he was talking about and the witness between us was like, hey, let's just like be buddies, you know? Let's be buddies and and move on. That's not what this is. Laban is saying, let's make a covenant and stay away from each other. Because I don't want to have anything more to do with you. I heard your speech. I would like to be done with this arrangement forever. Forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it as a pillar. And he said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and they piled them in a heap. And they ate there by the heap, because that's what you do. You eat by a pile of stones, and you make an agreement. That's what you do in the Old Testament. I don't, that's what they did. They didn't have Twitter back then, okay? Like, so they, Laban called it Jagar Sadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That's why it was called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, which means watchtower. Because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we, when we are away from each other. And again, when I, I, I used to think that this, like, like, God, watch out for you, and God, watch out for me. No, this means, God, like, make sure there's distance between us. May he stand between you and me. Because I'm, I'm tired of it. He said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me while we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, he already has, but it's okay. It's, it's not okay, but, like, Anymore, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. That's what I mean. It's not a good witness. It's not like, it's not like, hey, we're cool. We're not cool. Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap, and here is this pillar I've set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, and I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and you will not go past this heap 
of the end pillar to my side to harm me. Again, it's over. I don't want to ever see you again. I don't want to ever see you again. It's over. It's done. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. Now, it's pretty interesting that Laban says the God of Abraham there because he recognizes this God that's blessed him so much. And then what else does he say? The God of Nahor? Who's Nahor? That's Abraham's dad. Who, who are the God? Who's the God of Nahor? He's like sitting under Rachel. Like that's, that's where he's at. And do you think that Jacob's going to take that kind of oath? So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac, not in the name of the God sitting under Rachel. But the name of the fear of his father Isaac, he offered a sacrifice up there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they'd eaten, they spent the night there. And early in the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. We are done in the scriptures for today, right? This chapter closes in Jacob's life in this very final way, complete with covenants and like stone heaps. It's all, it's like done. It's a battle for the future and who controls the future? Do his wives control the future, Jacob's wives? Does Jacob control the future? Does Laban, do the circumstances control the future? It's a fight. And I want you to think about as we close today, think of how Jacob left his father's house. How did he leave? Empty-handed, empty-headed, empty-hearted, a fugitive. And now he has a family and wealth beyond what he could have ever imagined. But he's homeless and headed back to the place where people want him dead. God brings life out of barren places. He turns fugitives into moguls. He gives the riffraff and the deceitful, the tricksters and the hucksters, the manipulative, the broken, a powerful experience with himself. Why? Because it is his story. It is his future. Like, Jacob says mine, and Laban says mine, and God doesn't even have to say mine, because it's all his. He is telling this story. It isn't yours, it isn't mine. But every last little thing is caught up in it. And it is going somewhere. And where is it going? Where is Jacob going? He's headed home. He's headed home. Now he can't go back. But the question is going to be, can he go forward? Come back and find out. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And let's think for just a second about the future. Not about what's going to happen, but, uh, but about who's in charge of it. I know that's a long text and a tough story. Let's just, let's take a couple seconds to think, to pray. Who holds the future? Who holds your future? Who holds the future of your family? Your kids? Your grandkids? Your friends? Is it yours? Does it belong to things in your mind that have actually no power? Pretend gods sat on? Who's in charge? Who controls the future?
Maybe as you're praying too, is there anything you need to let go of? Anything that you've been clutching onto? Just like Jacob, maybe you can identify. Maybe you've been holding on real tight, white knuckles. Holding on to control. Anything you need to let go of today, talk to God. Let it go. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this word from you. God, we pray that this text would work its way into our hearts and into our minds. That through a crazy negotiation regarding sheep and people and this experience that they're having with you. God, so often I think I control the future. I think that I can make it happen. I think I can manipulate or scheme or organize or force or monologue definitely to get what I want or to get others to do what I want them to do. God, we struggle with control. We struggle with realizing that this world is yours and this life is yours and these relationships are yours and that you bring meaning and hope to all of them. Would you rescue us from thinking that things that don't have power do have power? All these, we don't carry around figurines maybe, but all these things that we give control of our lives to, substances and addictions and jobs and worries and fears, relationships, Father. God, help us. And I pray that as we walk out of here that we would be a people that are able to rest knowing the one who holds the future. Help us give that hope and help to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.